Hi, I'm Amber, and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today, we have a special guest with us, Ashley Richardson. She is a fellow Meat RX carnivore coach, and she's going to be talking about her success with a meat based diet and all kinds of other fun stuff. Welcome, Ashley. Hi, Amber. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's just dig right on in now. Go ahead and give us some background of of where you're coming from as far as your health goes. You have been through so much, and I really want people to understand what a huge thing it is for you to be where you're at right now. So, So get down and dirty, say it all, lay it all out there. Um, so yeah, I am, I'm really grateful to be a coach now because really all I've ever wanted to do was help people. Um, ever since I can remember, I, I was very sensitive and a compassionate kid. I loved animals and I also loved to cook with my mom. Um, around the age of two and a half, my parents split and um, I, there was a lot of turmoil in that because there was, um, there are a lot of things that were not spoken about, like as to why they split, but what ended up happening was, um, I ended up living with, um, a person that my mom ended up marrying and this, this addition to my life, this person in my life caused a lot of trauma to me. Um, and when it comes to trauma, there is a condition called CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And that can wreak havoc (laughs) throughout somebody's life. Um, and it wasn't until I was about 26, something like that, 25 or 26, that I really stressed my mental health providers and asked them if they could re re kind of revisit what diagnosis they had been working on with me since I was 12. They officially changed my diagnosis from bipolar to PTSD. And then about five years later, I discovered CPTSD. So the, the thing is, is, um, when I was five, these physical injuries started occurring with me because my then stepfather was doing things to me that literally would be categorized as torture. There were times when um, he would, and he was an ex-Marine, so he would do these Marine tactical practices with me in the basement when I was five, um, in the dark, um, pretending he didn't know me, he would stalk me. These are really, really disturbing things that this guy did. Um, I had a broken arm. I had a severed chin. Um, I lost molars when I was a child. I had a lot of surgery in my lower jaw. Um, and I just became sort of disfigured in my upper, you know, in my shoulders because of the broken arm. Um, my cast wasn't, well, it wasn't a cast, it was a sling. The sling wasn't set properly. So my 
posture got kind of distorted. And another one of the things that he did caused blunt force to my abdomen. And after that, and I know it's a lot and a lot of like really vivid, uh, disturbing things, but it's really important for people to know and understand that trauma does occur and you can overcome it. And I have. It took a very long time to. Because between the, the physical disfiguration of bones not setting properly after a broken bone occurs in early childhood and from the trauma to the abdomen um, and to kind of like, I'm supposed to have one of those like butt chins. <laughs> My sister has one. <laughs> like, I know what my chin was supposed to look like. So it got disfigured too. And it shifted my teeth around. So I kind of grew up from five years old up until the point where I discovered CPTSD. I kind of thought that I was just a disfigured person because I was a bad person. And that the trauma to my body had nothing to do with how I saw who I was, but it had everything to do with it. Even at, even at 15, my father died, my birth father died. And that is considered a stress event in the life, you know? And at 15, my acne started so rapidly due to the stress event. And due to discovering that um, fiber was supposed to be healthy. So I was starting to eat a lot of fiber to help my acne and it just caused more gut dysbiosis. <laughs> and then that was the precursor with this distended belly and this acne on my face. It was the precursor to actually me stepping down from a career as a performing artist. Um, I was a singer, dancer, and actress for, you know, my early teens. And I stopped doing that um, because of this acne, because of this just distinted belly. And it led me to kind of mixing between, I would go from bulimia to anorexia, um, just depending on how ravenous my hunger was how shameful I felt about that. Um, I honestly believe that the, the trauma to my gut, the blunt force trauma to my gut caused permeation and it caused infection and it caused depression. My mother always told me that she saw my personality go from a bubbly little girl when my parents were together to this very timid and shy, reserved little girl. And that's what happened. My personality changed. So I spent, you know, my, from five years old up till 12, I spent that time in a very depressed state. I was getting sick a lot. Um, my tonsils were always inflamed and <clears throat> I had lactose intolerance, but I didn't know it. 
until my father's second wife took me to a allergist and they decided to remove my tonsils, put me on allergy medications. And then the following year, they agreed that I was bipolar and then they put me on medication at 12 years old. The thing is, is that these professionals are not looking deeper into the situational stress that kids are going through. And they're not looking at their diets either. You know, I don't know about you, but having, um, having like a broken family and having to drive all these different places, you know, just to sleep at your dad's on the weekends because the court says so. And to go out to eat with your dad on the Wednesday, every other Wednesday because the court says so. Um, your mom doesn't want to keep you at the house on the weekends, even if you want to stay with her, you know, because she has partying to do. <laughs> like, mm. it's just broken homes make broken kids and they break their immune system and they break their will to thrive. So there were times when I was a kid, I wasn't even sick, but I wanted to stay home. So I would drink Italian dressing to make myself vomit because I just, what, my self-esteem was so poor. I didn't even want to go to school. I kept having to change schools because of all the moving too. So I described to you the, the kind of the ailments I was dealing with up until 12 and then they decided to take my tonsils out and call me lactose intolerant and call me bipolar and give me medications. Well, the medications made my gut dysbiosis even worse. <clears throat> and the antibiotics I had been on predisposed me to a very, very delicate gut lining. <laughs> so um, eventually I was, I was living with my dad and his new life. And eventually they didn't want me living there anymore because I refused to call her my mom. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized the people in my family did not value the truth. So in the back of my mind, I was very skeptical as to my need for this medication. So when I left the house I was living in when they diagnosed me and put me on medication to live with my mom again, I was wondering why my mom really wanted me on medication. I was like, but that, that was them. Like that was my dad. That was my stepmom. They wanted me on medication. You never wanted me on medication. Why do you want me on medication? So it began this struggle with me searching for the parent that would value truth. I couldn't find it with my dad. I didn't find it with my stepmom. And I was struggling to find it with my mom. I was super depressed and she actually had me live with a friend of mine because she didn't want to drive me to school. <laughs> I was a completely neglected kid. <laughs> Nobody gave a shit. Um, so living with this family, I started developing symptoms that Michaela Peterson talks about a lot. I was living with my friends who were feeding me what I asked for. I asked for fat-free turkey 
on fat-free mayo uh, with fat-free mayo with mixed lettuce on white bread <clears throat> or whole wheat bread, white bread or whole wheat bread, whatever it was that I was into at the time, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's the same shit. <laughs> Sorry. True. <laughs> but that's basically what I was eating. And I was developing arthritis in my knees. They didn't take me. And we lived in like, we lived on the second floor. So this was all brand new. I'm living with a new family. They're, they're chain smoking family. Um, they ate really horribly. Um, and I thought that I was eating the healthy stuff, but walking on those steps every day, I wasn't used to it. My knees were starting to act up and they took me to a doctor and the doctor said, this is Oshkut Slaughter's disease. It just, you're just growing. These are just growing pains and you played too much soccer as a kid. So then I was like, okay, I guess um, that's normal. But my knees really hurt and nobody listened to me. Nobody did. That year when I went back to live with my mom, I discovered acting. <laughs> and acting saved my self-esteem. I was still taking Prozac, but I was acting so I could relieve all of this anxiety. I could explore emotions that weren't welcome. And I could examine the truth through the eyes of different characters. And it was a lot of fun. And that became my new identity. I was my mom's best friend. I was the kid on antidepressants who overcame child abuse, who now discovered acting. And that was gonna be my life. But then when I turned 15, my dad died and my mom didn't have child support anymore for me. <laughs> so what happened was she was just trying to get her hands on his life insurance policy. And she had a condition that she deemed was, um, that she deemed prevented her from working. So that's when um, my acne started getting really bad. And my mom was really disappointed that I wasn't excited to be on stage anymore. So because I couldn't like be the famous actress and I was close. I was close. I was nearly cast in The Horse Whisperer. I always joke, I, I say, Scarlett Johansson stole my career. <laughs> <laughs> and then a Robert De Niro movie that analyzed that, or, you know, um, the sequel to Analyze This, they cast me as the daughter, and then they rewrote it as a son. And that was the same year my dad died. So it was like, failure on top of stress on top of rejection and I just I felt like I wanted to quit acting altogether my acting was so bad and I remember my mom actually being like you don't deserve to go to the dermatologist with the way you're acting and I was a teenager and that was the kind of thing that 
that I was experiencing all the time. It was like, you're, you're a bad kid. You know, you're just, you're just a bad kid. You're stressing me out. And, um, now I always gave my mom leeway with it because she introduced me to counseling when I was like six or seven and I loved counseling in my mind. I was either going to be an actress or a psychologist, but, um, the year that I was supposed to graduate, um, high school, that was a year full of, um, my mom calling the police on me a lot. If I didn't come home on time or if I, she caught me smoking a cigarette, uh, the night before my final exams, junior year, actually, and she had me arrested. So there were these things that, um, that I learned that parents will do when they either need to garner um, attention, sympathy, or like literal funding um, from services like social security, disability, and stuff like that. And that's what my mom was doing. She wanted me to sign disability papers that would deem me disabled at 17. And I refused to. So that's when she started calling police on me all the time. And I was a smart kid, you know, I, I could learn a script overnight. I used to, um, I used to direct my mom. She was an actress too. I used to, I taught her accents, you know, I, I would choreograph her songs with her. We had a lot of fun together on stage, but that's, that's the thing. I think my mom had this most of her life, but Um, I discovered that she has BPD and that's borderline personality disorder with a little bit of like a histrionic thing going on. And it's a real sad situation for the children because a person will shift quickly if it's convenient for them when they have this disorder, if they, if they need if they need support or if they need resources or if they need attention, they'll flip a script so fast on people who love them. Like, like my mom did with me. And, uh, so I, I found out that she was trying to keep me from graduating because the Dean of my school told me that he was like, why aren't you up? Um, why aren't you up with everybody? Like, at graduation, it was like graduation day. I asked him, I was like, do I have enough credits to graduate? My mom says I don't, but I feel weird. I feel like everybody here I should be walking with, you know, I should be graduating with. And uh, he was like, actually, yeah, you have enough credits. It's just your mom wants to keep you another year. Good gosh. Okay, let me let me before you go on. I, I, let's let's go back a little bit. When the major trauma was happening with you and your stepfather, did your mom know about it? She knew about it. Yeah, she um she appealed to the courts. My dad knew about it too. My dad was very upset because I was coming up with these these injuries. And as an investigator, 
of the FBI, my dad was um, diligent in doing an investigation. Um, My mom knew that this was happening. Uh, She left me alone with him when the courts told her not to. And because she did that, he uh, broke my chin that time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so my dad was like, F this, I need to find out what's going on. I didn't know that he was doing this at the time. After he died, I broke into his basement to get, just to get something. I just wanted, I just wanted some kind of memory of him. And I left with a giant file of pictures of me with my injuries and pictures of me as a kid in the living situation that I was in. And it was a wreck. I I saw holes in our walls, dirty clothes on the floor, like an unmade bed. It just looked like a a tenement building, you know, from the depression era. So yeah, like my my mom knew what was going on. She told the courts that because of her epilepsy, she needed her husband there. so the court let us stay with our dad for a couple of days. It was, it's, the court is just, there's really no justice, rhyme or reason with any of that. So yeah, she, um, she knew. She eventually left him um, and we ended up in a shelter temporarily and my dad let us live with him again. Wow. What about yeah. your sister? You mentioned you have a sister. Where was she doing yeah. all of this? And, and what's the age difference? Yeah, I'm two years younger. And um, because she had a little bit more time with a family unit, like togetherness, you know, um, between our parents, I think she was developing differently than I was. She had different nutrition too. i I really believe that having a male in the house for her, like having my dad there, it enabled better nutrition. It's not a sexist thing. It's not, it's nothing like that. It's just that uh, when, when a, when a wife is cooking for her whole family before this whole veganism revolution, like women were, definitely mindful to feed their husband enough food. You know, they've been working all day, come home, feed them well, show them they're grateful for their hard work. And and meat. Meat, yeah. And that's (laughs) the thing. I remember they used to eat lobster and butter sometimes when we were really little. My mom loved to cook like extravagant meals and that was one of like the staples that they would go to. They'd have artichoke hearts and butter and lobster and butter. It was like just a thing, you know? Um, so I think that, um, I think my sister had the ability to, um, like there, there's a phenomenon that occurs with children who are being abused and it's bedwetting. So the difference between us was pretty much, I couldn't, I couldn't sleep through it. She could sleep through it. 
I have the tendency not to be able to avoid things. There are certain people who can. There are certain people who can sleep, certain people who keep, can keep their eyes closed and stay in denial of certain things. Mm -hmm. I, on the other hand, I, on the other hand, didn't have the patterns built into me at two and a half years old yet to understand that it's safe to go to bed at night. Up until five years old, I believe, you have a better chance of developing resiliency in your personality um, with repetitive structured behaviors and supportive behaviors. Having my dad in the house for an extra two years, I think made all the difference in the world. Was she abused too? We, we've talked about it and she um, definitely shared some memories uh, with me about it that um, would suggest that she was. And I did, I did witness types of torture um, with her as well. Not to the extent that I was because the younger child is going to receive the brunt of it because they don't have the artic they can't articulate these things. There were a couple of in, in court documents that I recovered, there were instances of her um, of her teachers saying, this showed up, I'm concerned, I'm reporting it. And then during like during the testimony stuff in the courts for my dad fighting for custody, it came out that there were bruises on her, you know, there were concerning things on her that, um, that we did not, as children, we did not want to, or have the ability to put these things together. Our father literally approached me many times and said, do you want to come and live with me? And I said, no. I said, I want to be with mommy. Why do you think you said that? Because I knew that my mom felt powerless in her life. And I wanted to protect her. That's very, very normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. No, no, <laughs> you go right ahead. Yeah. No, I, 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 I was a CASA, a court-appointed special advocate for, for children. And, you know, most of these children were abused or whatever in bad homes. And it always amazed me that they actually wanted to be with the parent, even if that parent was abusing them. And it, it just kind of blew my mind, but it, it's the... And then there's the guilt too about if I leave my mommy or daddy or whoever is going to get hurt or, you know, something bad's going to happen. So I have to stay. So that is a very normal thing, but that is a lot for a little kid. That is a lot. And so you had this immense trauma in your life and that is trauma. I mean, what you went through, I, I can just imagine, I, I come from a broken home, 
but there was not any of that going on. I had two very loving parents. It's just, they weren't so great together. But then immediately after that, they were both remarried pretty quickly. And I had a fairly normal life except for the back and forth thing. But so I can't even imagine what, what that did to you, but this trauma, let's go back to that. Mm-hmm. How do you think it has played into your life as far as your conditions? I mean, you mentioned that you, you recognize the stress that you're going through and then the acne shows up, but there is research showing that past traumas actually affect your, your health, your physical health, not just mental, physical health because mm-hmm. of all the mental stuff going on. Can you, do you feel like you can pinpoint that? Do you, you know, based on all your experience and, and it sounds to me like you've done a lot of research trying to understand some of this going on and plus through, I'm guessing therapy and et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Therapy started very early. Um, but, um, yeah, the, I, Amber, I, I remember waking up the first time I was taken out of my home, the one I was like born into with my two parents, I remember waking up in a new house and well, we lived in these little, we lived in a crummy little apartment in a really bad side of town before. But when we moved into this house, I remember waking up and feeling dead inside. And I think what it did was it killed my heart first. It literally not seeing the home that I was raised in and then not seeing the home that I was acclimating to, just like that crummy apartment building, you know? Just being in a new environment that I didn't have any, any reverence for, it shocked me. And I think it broke my heart and I couldn't make sense of anything. My brain was like, I felt like, I felt like I was dead, like a zombie. And this was, and nobody was around when I woke up that morning. No, nobody was home. I don't even remember running into an adult. I was so confused and lost. It's like being thrown into someone else's family and nobody recognizes that it's you, you know? Um, We had a little dog that belonged to the stepfather. I couldn't even bond with this dog. Both of our hearts were broken. i never saw the dog happy. She was always scared. I was scared every single day because I didn't feel anything coming back at me. There is, there's something magical that occurs when a child is mirroring their parent, when their parents mirroring them. It's, it's the earliest development of narcissism. And you need that, that there's a healthy phase of narcissism that a baby goes through because they need to derive their reflection from their outside world, from their mom or their dad or whoever's taking care of them. My mom didn't know how to do that. My dad taught her how to do that. But then when their connection started to disintegrate in their marriage, she stopped doing that with me. 
she disconnected. She had mental health stuff going on. I believe she didn't replenish her nutrition after having each child. And every year the food got worse from the night from 1980, from when my sister was born to 1982, I'm sure there is more industrial crap being added to the way of life, you know, low fat, low fat, low fat, right? Exactly. Low fat. Yeah. I remember them saying, don't let kids lick the, the batter of the cakes anymore. Right. Cause of salmonella. So like eggs were poison all of a sudden. Yep. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, to answer your question, I think my heart broke. And then I think I didn't understand my environment. So I couldn't figure out where I placed in the environment. And, and that was the beginning of my sister and I severing too. We were not sisters. We were not being modeled for in terms of how to relate to one another. We were strangers, though we were living together. We were complete strangers. So, so yeah, um, I remember every time I would drive up to this house where we lived with my stepdad and my mom, my stomach hurt. I felt it in my gut and I would tell her, mommy, my stomach hurts. Nothing was done. So the lack of response also broke my heart. My spirit broke. And then when the the injuries started occurring, my physical body was under so much stress. I think my immune system shut down. And by the time I was eight or nine, that's when I started getting strep throat all the time. I mean, there were so many times I was calling out, like my mom called me out of of school so many times. There was just no dedication to the rest of my life. You know, there's no, there was no plan or formula like, I didn't know what college was in high school. I really didn't. And I was just kind of always walking through this ignorance, you know? And, and what I think, I think the problem when you don't have that kind of mirroring and like that identity creation inside of you, I think you go out and you try to be an actress because you need something to act out. And that, that's why it was so useful to me. And that's why I'm really grateful that it didn't work out because the way, the way Hollywood has revealed itself lately. Oh, you got a point there. You know? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, but I get that. I get, I, I think also like as an actress, I I was actually a drama major when I was in college at UT and it it was a really cool feeling to be able to like, it was like a cathodic or cathodic type of, uh, you know, thing when you get up there and you're doing your monologues or whatever, that's mainly what we did, you know, that's, you know, whatever, but uh, also with writing because I'm a romance writer or was, and that was one way that I got my emotions out there and what I was feeling. So mm-hmm. I totally get that part, uh, the, the actress part. I see how that, that 
probably really did help you in a lot of ways. And it's kind of really a shame that it, it didn't go farther. But then again, maybe, you know, things happen for a reason and you're doing what you're doing now because of everything you've been through. So, and speaking of this, when did you have the issue with anorexia and bulimia? Sure. Um, I think it was 16 and a half or 17. Okay. So you're right there. Okay. If you want to pick that up and talk more about that, because I think people need to see how one thing can morph into another can morph into another. If situations are not dealt with, if, if you don't, you know, confront whatever the, the underlying issue is. So, right. 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 So I, I was struggling with my weight as well. I was putting on, I was putting on extra pounds. I had been switched from Prozac. I started from Tofranil to Prozac to um, Depakote and Wellbutrin. And that, that is a combination for addicts. They use it for people with seizure disorders and addiction. So, um, <laughs> so what ended up happening was I developed an addiction. I, I started, um, watching late night TV. I was gaining weight and I was watching late night TV and I was watching behind the scenes of the Partridge family. One of the actresses of the Partridge family, she developed an eating disorder because her agent and all of the producers were pressuring her to lose weight. I remember this. Remember this? She started binging on carrots. She turned orange. I remember that. I, I wanted to turn orange. I wanted to disappear. I wanted to in somewhere in the back of my mind, Amber, I wanted to be recognized for having something seriously wrong with my health mm. because I needed help out of this. I don't want to be on antidepressants anymore. There's something wrong with my health. I look like a pizza face. There's something wrong with my health. You know, what is wrong with me? The history of my trauma never, never, it never computed for me. Because of all the roadblocks you have, you have the mom who needs you to not remember. You have your kid, bro- I have a kid, kid brother. I had a kid brother who's, who's the son of the guy that did that stuff to me. So that's complicated as well. It's mm-hmm. like, I love, I love my brother. His father nearly killed me. I, it's not my brother's fault. So it's like this constant denial state you're in. So I started binging on carrots and, <laughs> and um, Kashi cereal because it was high in fiber and drinking a ton of water and thinking that that was going to help me um, fix whatever what was wrong with me. And I could stop the medications and I would be, you know, beautiful on stage again and all this stuff. Um but that turned into my gut just becoming a lot worse and my acne getting worse. So then I started um, binging and purging. I was binging, I was seeing the results, then I was purging. And I was doing it kind of quietly and I was still 
I was over exercising too. I just discovered running. I was um, kind of living with a boyfriend and his family at the time, and they were they were into drugs, and I didn't know that they were into drugs, but they were into the fashion world too. So I had these kind of influences of people who were involved in eating disordered behavior mm. and kind of um, glorifying fashion and also glorifying um, rock stardom. I started writing lyrics for this guy. I started helping him produce his music. I started focusing on his music and not my performing. Um, and I never even wanted to be involved with this family, but this guy literally um, would show up at my house and drag, not drag me out, but he would not leave me alone. And then he gave me a cell phone once and he was like, your mom's crazy, you need a cell phone. So then that's when it was like kind of a damsel in distress kind of thing. And I ended up living with a family that was so dysfunctional. They ended up convincing me to let them have $40,000 of what my dad left me. And I eventually got most of it back, but um, not cool, not cool. <laughs> Yeah, not cool. So it's just, it's just about, you know, it's like looking for people who value your truth and finding a bunch of freaking liars. Um, but I was deeper and deeper into my eating disorder several years into living with this family after I left my home around 17 and a half. So, um, I think it scared the hell out of me that I was actually in control of my life. I was able to leave my mom, but I couldn't leave this family. It was a very, it was a very dark time. Yeah, sounds like you've had a lot of dark times. It's a, it's an, it's really nice to um, draw the curtain back and see that 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 was an unfortunate story, but. It's totally within my control now. I'm free. That's the best thing ever. Yeah. Is being free from anything that traumatic. And I know just on a very small uh, scale for me, the freedom of getting uh, that food addiction, sugar addiction off my shoulder and not feeling food 24 seven, thinking about it, obsessing about it, eat one meal, already thinking about the next meal. That was a jail sentence to me. And so to have, you know, those things gone, it's, it's an amazing feeling. So I can only imagine what that would feel to you to have that freedom and be able to look back at things, talk about it. Not that it doesn't still hurt you. There are a lot of things that still hurt me that all of a sudden I just like break down crying. I'm like, going, what am I doing that for? I thought it was over it, but you, you know, there's always yeah. going to be that, but, but to look back and go, wow, I went through all of that. I survived. Look at me now. I look at you now. You're this beautiful, vibrant person who is helping other people, you know, have the freedom that you have. 
Yeah. That, yeah. It, it, I mean, you know, it's, we're talking <laughs> food here, but it, it's still, it's, yeah. it's a freedom. It, it, it's uh-huh. something very different. So, okay. Let, let's talk just a little bit more about your eating disorders. Okay. So how long were you in that and how did you overcome it? Did you have to go into therapy, uh, any kind of rehabilitation? How did you kick that? That's a really good question. I know a lot of people, um, a lot of people rely on structured eating disorder recovery um, systems, but I never trusted the therapists I went to. My mom would always, my mom actually put a restraining order against my favorite therapist who actually understood what was going on. And he called it out for what it was. He said, she's propping you up as a disabled person so she could take advantage of you. Um, and I, that, that was the last straw. Uh, and when I contacted him, when I turned 18, he said, I still can't talk to you because if your mom finds out I'm dead, so sorry. And I was like, but I'm 18 now. I, I don't, the, uh, and another thing was I'm a writer too, but that's one of my traumas. I can't, I can't write anymore because she took my journals and gave them to a prosecutor she when I was 17 and I had to wait till I was 18 to get them back that's a trauma that still stays with me it's really hard for me to write mm-hmm. um but about the eating disorder I never sought structured help because I didn't trust any of it I would see that they were making girls eat the things that made them sick and they were trying to treat them like they were just in re-education uh, camps. And I did not approve of that. I would never want anybody to do that. Like I would never want to do that to anybody and I would never want them to do it to me. Um, so I, I remember entitling a short story I wrote at that time. I said, girl, isn't it all, isn't it time to be all right? And I wrote, I said, it's really up to me to decide that I want to live. Eating tells your body you want to live. Thinking positive thoughts tells your body you want to live. And I wasn't there yet, but I started coming out of this eating disorder when I left that family. It was really hard for me I started just eating a bunch of crap. I ate McDonald's. I, I went to diners. I ate all the things that I knew I wasn't supposed to. Um, and my acne came back really, really bad. Mm. Um, and, and I wasn't exactly completely acne free because my body was still kind of screwed up. But because I wasn't eating food during the anorexic phases I was going through that was literally my body trying to clear out a lot of the infection I think but I was tormented so it wasn't a healthy fasting experience it was anorexia Mm -hmm. I was doing it because I felt there is a difference yes yeah yes exactly um so no I never I was always scared that if I told 
a mental health professional that I was capable of binging and purging, that they would call the police on me, throw me in an ambulance, and I, I would never be heard from again. Because she, she threatened mental hospitals with, you know, so many times in my teenage years that I literally didn't trust anybody. I was so paranoid. So I overcame it because I decided to live and I officially overcame it when I discovered, I discovered working on the inner child. I put this, I did this MySpace thread once. I opened it up. It was kind of an open forum. And I said, I'm so tired of feeling the way I feel. I, I, I just want to die. All, all this stuff, all this negative stuff. And somebody wrote back to me after all these people are telling me, focus on helping other people. You need to do this. You need to up your meds, do this, do that. This guy introduced me to the work of Stefan Molyneux. Um, Stefan Molyneux is a He's a self-proclaimed philosopher and he runs a, a show called Free Domain Radio. And I was very naive about it, but I used it to my benefit and I was able to cut ties with the people in my family that were enabling this self-destructive persona that I had taken on in order to protect them from my truth, from the truth of what happened to me as a kid. Because having your mother bring the abuser back into your life over the years is so sick. And having never pursued justice for me, like on my behalf, when I think about that, that makes me sick too. So anyway, um, <laughs> So I, I, I really needed to uncover why do I internalize everybody's shit? Why do I stuff the truth down so far that I can't eat, that I can't do anything, that I want to hide from the world, that I enable acne on my face because I eat like crap and then, you know, I'm doing all these horrible things. I needed to get down to it. So what I did was I defood. It's a technical term in the psychology world. I don't know if you've heard of it. No. You extract yourself from the family of origin. And I did that. I was actually um, married at the time. I didn't have any kids or anything, but I was married to a person that I donated a kidney to. And they did not want me involved in their health after the donation they weren't letting me talk to their doctors ask questions about medications or anything he just shut me out completely and that's not love that's not what I wanted so um I took that very seriously and decided that I needed to move far away from these people who didn't respect me so you donated your kidney to this man yeah okay <laughs> yeah okay yeah and uh and I had doubts about being with him it you know it I don't 
blame the guy for having confusion or being mad at me at certain times. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't solid in self-care. I wasn't solid in my self-respect. So yeah, you're going to walk on me, walk on me, you know, all this stuff. And I'm going to give you part of my life. And then how, how can I expect anything different? You know, that kind of thing. So I, I realized I was making poor decisions about who I was keeping in my life and who I was investing in. I had invested so much time, so much money, so much effort into helping my life force, into helping other people who weren't really, who didn't really even know me. So getting that space from my family was really helpful, but it, it really, and, and at that donation period, that was when I, I quit smoking and I stopped the eating disorder stuff. And I decided I'm going to recover my childhood. If I survive this donation, I need to make up for what I've missed in my life. And that's, I was like, if I can give somebody life, I deserve to give myself life. And I started shining through in these little, these little glimpses here and there, but I had a really, really hard time with holding people accountable, you know? Okay. And so before you hit to this point, let me just ask you one more question because I, I yeah. can't see how this wasn't part of your life. Did you ever consider ending it? Suicidal thoughts, maybe. Did, did that play a part anywhere in there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that I wasn't, I wasn't like a particularly happy camper in my marriage because I didn't really feel respected. Um, I, we, and <laughs> I was proposed to in Times Square and I was inebriated and I accepted completely inebriated. Um, and when I came to him, when I was ready to come to him with the truth that I wasn't ready to be married, he attempted suicide. So that night I attempted suicide. Whoa. And then he did not end up going into a hospital. I ended up going into a hospital because my mother found out and told them that I needed to go to a mental hospital. So, I, I mean, I'm just thinking that I killed a man <laughs> by telling them that this is not what I want. And, um, and yeah, yeah, that was really dark. And then about a year after that, I had another stay in a hospital voluntarily. I was back in relationships with my family. I was fully committed to this guy again. And he ended up having the kidney failure around this time. And I just felt completely in the wrong life. I felt like I was living someone else's life. And I also felt like I was preventing this guy from having a loving life with maybe somebody not so into figuring out what the hell's wrong with herself. <laughs> you know, lots of people have great marriages and they are not interested in the truth. You know, they want to eat their crap 
they want to enable each other to, to, you know, eyes wide shut, I guess. Um, so yeah, I did have a lot of dark thoughts and I really would not have acted on that had I not felt so guilty that yeah. just being honest about something. I'm, that has to affect you though. Like you're trying to come at it. I want to be honest. I, I don't want to hurt this person because I care for them, but they have to understand I'm not ready there. So you're trying to tell this truth and then that happens. So did that kind of make you go, Ooh, maybe I don't really want to tell the truth anymore. Yeah. Well, I think that, um, that is, the thing underneath all of this from the very beginning, which was my stepdad used to give me beer at night and we would watch movies together. And then that would open up the opportunity for him to, to do things. You know, um, I liked the togetherness. I thought he was my close compadre. He was not my dad, but he was a cool older man, you know, very inappropriate stuff. Um, so this bonding over substance was also how I bonded with my husband at the time. It was over substance and we were inebriated a lot and mm. it was always about partying. So it wasn't always about, Hey, let's talk about the truth. What do you think of politics? What do you think about what's going on in the world? It was really distraction from feelings. It was distraction from articulating like our concerns or disagreements. It's really about becoming a person that's uncomfortable with confronting things and really having face to face. When I'm in like the MeetRx community, I feel like I can have a conversation with people and they see me and they see that we're, we don't have to be the same person, you know, we can have different strengths and weaknesses and we can hash things out if there's a disagreement or like something that's misunderstood. There's no disagreement allowed when you're two people that are not able to communicate. Because mm -hmm. if you have a disagreement and you can't communicate it, it's over. It's either over or it doesn't exist. And that's the thing that I could not do. I just couldn't, I couldn't do that kind of stuff anymore, you know? Um, yeah. Okay. Let, let me, okay. You talk about how after you uh, did the kidney donation that you kind of like decided I'm going to get my crap together. Uh, what really gave you that strength to do that? Because you had been through so much time and time again, something else happened and more trauma, more trauma. What made this different, this decision? What just clicked with you that said, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to fix this. I'm done. That's a really good question because there's so many opportunities, you know, before that or whatever, how do you know you're ready? I think it was the forced, <laughs> the forced bumping up to my body. I was so disconnected from my body before this donation, so disconnected.
from the arm being broken, from the, the chin. I didn't recognize my face for a little while. My teeth messed up, like my gut, just not being able to connect with the body up until you're opening up your body to give a part of what's inside of you to somebody else. You like, you just have no choice anymore, but to say my body has healing mechanisms in it. My body has healing to give. It has life to give. Like I'm not having a kid, but I'm helping somebody live, get off of that horrible dialysis machine. Yeah. So, um, I started valuing my body because it could help somebody to such a degree that they could come off of dialysis. And I knew what that did for his life and it opened up so many opportunities for him, you know, instead of having to be sick all the time on this machine, um, and I remember being, <laughs> you have to take a psych evaluation before you go and do this donation. And I, I passed it, but I told this, the psychiatrist that I was ready to come off of my medication. And I wanted this to be a complete change to my life in the future. So I started coming off my meds with, with supervision, but they never said that in my file and they were feeding me medication from the moment I woke up from my surgery. They also did not set up my epidural properly. So I was in massive pain, but I couldn't speak. I was kind of like, I was kind of like paralyzed, but I was in massive pain. So this was happening again, where they were thinking that I was just desperate for pain pain pills or something, and that I didn't want to take medication and I was being difficult. And that was the furthest thing from the truth. I had literally gone through the steps to make it known that I'm changing the trajectory of my dependency on medication. I don't want this anymore. You know, we're here to fix our health kind of thing. And they didn't respect that. They didn't notate that. And, and my husband at the time was in the room with me trying to convince me to take the medication. He didn't even care that I was trying to get off of it. They just don't, they did not understand. So you have spent most of your life with basically nobody on your side, nobody listening to you, like really listening. Uh, wow. I, 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 I can't even imagine what, what, uh, yeah, well, no, what no happens? They, my family started listening to me when I tried to make up with them after having left and everything. Um, they saw that I cleared up my skin and that I lost weight. And then they started asking me for help with oh, it. Really? Yeah. Wow. I want to hear more about that, but, but real yeah. quick, let's, let's just go ahead and do this. Okay. From where we, we stopped, where you donated your kidney and all. Now, I know somewhere in there, did you have any more health problems that you want to talk about? Just just list those really quick. And then I want to hear about your your little stint with a, a, a vegan diet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, after after the donation, um, I felt really good. I I was I actually it took me months to recover. I had started veganism about a week or two before the donation. Actually, oh. several months. Now that I think about it, um, I had to do a water. They called it a water cleanse to do some of the kidney testing to make sure I was healthy um, for the donation. And then I started learning about water fasting and I, I was learning about veganism and all the measures that some people were taking to come off of antidepressants. And I was like, oh, I just have to do, I have to be vegan, no more animal products. I watched Fast Food Nation and totally reprogrammed myself because my, my husband was from another country too. So there was a, a, a guy in that movie that resonated with me because he was from another country coming here to work. Mm-hmm. And it just spoke so deeply to me that my childhood trauma was being healed. I thought that I could heal my trauma by cutting meat out because I wanted to remove all violence from my person. I see. I see what you did. Okay. My, my stepdad was a hunter and I, I had to make peace with that, with my, the, the memory I have is of him bleeding out a deer in our driveway when I was five. And I didn't understand that. I didn't know what it was about. And it terrified me. And I always felt like the deer, you know, his deer. Mm, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just was doing that until I realized that Ahimsa is actually like, you know, you're causing pain to yourself. Ahimsa is like this dedication to uh, compassion and not, not causing anything pain. But then I realized like after years of pursuing this veganism and vegetarianism just for the sake of my mental health, it was not causing me no pain. It caused me a lot of pain actually. (laughs) Go over um, some of that because I I think people don't really fully understand how it can affect some people. You know, the, the IBS from all the fiber, the fermenting sugar in my gut, um, I really couldn't eat meat anyway during my vegan and vegetarian escapades because I couldn't digest it anymore. I wasn't producing any bile, which changes the pH of my stomach. And it really caused a lot of cystic acne on my face. So so I decided that I was going to go vegan and I was dipping in and out of vegetarian vegan. I was eating a lot of soy and this, this began in 2007. So fast forward to 2013 and I can't even think straight. I can barely lift my neck up off my pillow. I had no resilience. I lost my full-time job because I gave somebody the wrong change. And I just went into this deep, deep depression. I was working at Whole Foods Mm. and I was just like so devastated that I lost my favorite job in the world. Um, I didn't want to do anything else. I just wanted to be 
this vegan at Whole Foods. And, you know, that was my life. Uh, so I had issues. I didn't have neuropathy, but what I had issues with were lit, li literally lifting my neck up off of my pillow and activating my abdominal muscles. So there were times when in 2012 and 2013 that I would have difficulty rolling out of bed. I was sleeping on a mattress and I was renting a room. So I didn't have financial health at all either. I was just run, I was just, just spinning my wheels. Um, I had enlisted in health coaching training in 2012 and um i started experimenting with raw fruitarianism after i don't remember how long i did that for but i broke down and bought steak i literally couldn't do it i couldn't do it and i ate a whole pound of steak and i had never done that in my entire life until that day. And I was like, what is happening to me? What the heck did I do? Um, what did it make you feel like after eating that steak? What did you feel like? It made me feel so good, but this was still in 2012 or 2000. It was still 2012. And I was determined to get back on the wagon right after that. So I lost teeth during veganism and fruitarianism um, and I didn't have money to pay for this. So I went to the college and they just yanked, they yanked this one out. <laughs> um, and I was getting uh, gingivitis. I was, I was definitely seeing receded, receding gums, bleeding gums. I was following all of the fruitarian guidelines of, um, using mint essential oil, coconut oil. I would use clay. I would use charcoal. I would use um, baking soda every once in a while. I used a water pick. I invested so much money in this stupid diet, expensive juicers, blenders. Um, my judgment went out the window. I was I had my heart on my sleeve all the time. I was always like so emotionally distraught. Um, and it wasn't like the animals. It was just like compassion, inner child, self-healing, like love yourself. Um, don't judge me. I'm eating carbs and fat. Don't judge me. You know, I was just trying so badly to connect with my inner child still I, I was in counsel I was with a counselor for five I was in counseling with the same therapist for five years and she never once was like do you think you want to get your hormones checked do you think you know because they're not you know they're not trained to do that but it was just constant feeling like doomsday all the time and there were times when I was, I would just cry and cling to her couch and be like, I hate that you can't hug me. I was so lonely. I was so sad as a freaking vegan, vegetarian, whatever. I, um, yeah, I just, 
Okay, knowing what you know now about nutrition and how it affects your body, is there no wonder you felt the way you do? And I can't help but wonder, and gosh, I don't want to make this political or anything, but there are some really emotionally triggered people out there, like really a lot of them. And I'm just like, what is wrong with you? Screaming uh-huh. in the street and doing this crazy stuff. People, normal yeah. people don't do that, right? I can't help but think it's our crappy nutrition. And I think it even goes a little bit farther when it's something extreme, like, I don't want to put people down, but like the, the whole fruitarian thing. I've heard mm-hmm. that that is just awful because your blood sugar is like so crazy dysregulated and then you know just everything else you're lacking the fat you're lacking so many things that make Mm -hmm. you mentally okay that it's no wonder to me Uh, yeah okay if if y'all are doing that and it works for you yay go I don't I don't want to bash anybody but I can't help but wondering you know the more we dive into nutrition and the more we learn the more we experiment the more we talk to people it's kind of hard not to. So of course, when you were in that state with everything else you've dealt with, and then on top of that, your nutrition was lacking. So there's no wonder you felt so emotional and you felt so lonely and depressed. Yes, of course you are. I think that's absolutely the truth. I'm not afraid to say that that's what I think as well. I, I, when I was, uh, when I was in the midst of um, a lot of like the nine-year-old me dealing with a lot of illness, like the strep throat, um, the depression, I cut my hair off and I, I wanted to be a boy. I wanted to be a boy so bad. I felt like I had no power and I had no control and I wasn't strong. And I remember watching the Disney channel and I would see like all these like cool boys. They were like ninjas or whatever. And I wanted to be cool. I wanted to have power. I just, I wanted confidence. So, and having a broken family and a mom who was using very manipulative tactics to control the way I saw her, it, it turned me against my femininity it really did not make me feel like at one with, uh, with women, with girls. Um, and it made me very angry at boys because this is, this is how we see our, our parents, our family structure is how we understand the world. I was angry at boys, yet I wanted to be a boy. That's not deranged, that's human nature. We get jealous of things because we want them. We, you know, we're angry at things because they don't, they don't know about us or want us or like us or approve of us. We are very complex creatures and we need complex nutrition. We need the animal yeah. nutrition that, that knows what to do with itself inside of our body. Well, let's talk some about that. Because I yeah. know we've been yabbing for quite some time now. I know. But l- let's get a little bit in- into that and tell tell us how it affected you when you actually did get proper human nutrition. 
What did you feel like? What did it change in your life? Well, I felt like I went from being a hummingbird to a gorilla. I felt like I was constantly nervous, but I could, I could run miles. I could run for miles and be happy, happier than a clam. You know, I was able to run around like crazy, but I didn't build muscle. There was nothing dense about me other than my head. <laughs> and I didn't, I would have this strange scratch in my eye because I had dry eyes all the time. I thought that I had a granule stuck in my eye. I just found out that it was dry eye because I didn't have uh, lubrication in my nerves. So my body was, my body was getting hydrated when I was eating more animal foods. I wasn't constantly drinking water. So I was able to, I was able to feel satisfied after a meal as well. And this balance almost seemed like depression to me and boring. And it was alien to me. And it wasn't interesting to me at all. And I was craving sugar so much. I was trying not to eat sugar. I was trying not to eat fruit um, when I discovered paleo because of the very concept that these sweet fruits we have now are not the indigenous <laughs> fruits that you know, were available uh, you know, in early human and you know, our progression into this fruit is just like a kid in a candy store. That's yes. that's you know, it's drawing us in to buy these things. Uh, so yeah, when I cut fruit out and I was trying to focus more on low glycemic vegetables, um, I didn't have any energy to run anymore. So I felt very heavy and lethargic and I felt depressed. But what it did was it presented my depression to me it presented it to me. It, it wasn't just, oh, I'm depressed. I have to fix that. I need, a, I need a sugar fix. It was, what is wrong with me? And I could actually start seeing myself for what I was in the mirror. And that's not a bad thing. I, I didn't look horrible. I could just see the potential that my muscle structure was there underneath layers of inflammation and layers of fat that I couldn't utilize and access as energy. I went from paleo to a FODMAP diet because I discovered that somebody got rid of their IBS when they removed onions. And that made me like, what? Because I was eating onions and garlic and everything. So I removed so many things and I was just eating chicken. I was eating dark chicken, thigh meat, olive oil, salt, pepper, and parsnips. I was miserable. Oh my goodness. I was sneaking, I was trying to do carrots with um, miso paste and that would cause just bloating and acne and I, it wasn't happening overnight either. These were a lot slower than if I had eaten sugar or if I had eaten like dairy 
or something. It was a slower manifestation of, of the problems. And it took a lot longer to understand that. If I had had the, the guts to try just a carnivore diet, I mean, I didn't know anybody was actually doing that, but if I had had the guts to be creative and just go carnivore, um, would have, could have, should have, you don't want to shut it on yourself, but um, it probably would have saved me about two years of suffering. Cause then I went into keto and I got addicted to like the keto cookies and yep. nuts and seeds. Nuts. Ah. Macadamia nuts were my thing. I, I, it, yeah. I can't have them in my house. Mm -mm. Yeah. Gobs, right? Just, <laughs> yeah. could just eat yeah. a whole big bag. Mm. I started getting interested in my muscles. That's all. It, it just took interest. It took like, hey, you can have your muscles. You can see your muscles. Like, why not try and see a muscle? Why not try and like do one of those Dr. Mercola super slow workouts and see what happens? Uh, so I, I just started, you know, trying to see what it was like to activate my muscle. Um, and I would do it incrementally every day. I would do the same exercise and I would see how that felt. Um, and I was still suffering from loneliness and I was in a relationship too. And I felt like the guy didn't really understand me. And I just, I kind of used that as a catalyst to reaching myself and saying, ah, you know what? It doesn't matter what that asshole thinks. Just do you. And I started just doing me and you know, that relationship went on for five years because he, he was, he was very seduced by physical beauty and stuff like that. He didn't care about what I cared about. He didn't care about love. It was just like this manipulative guy trying to like change my body. If you know what I mean? Like a narcissist trying to like tweak things to, but carnivore changed that too. I got that mother effer out of my life so quickly after things started changing for me. Yeah. Confidence. Confidence. Yes. I, I hear that a lot and I'm not kidding. Confidence. Oh man. I have such a BS detector now. I don't take crap. It's so good, good. for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I noticed a big difference with me in that way too. It, you coming out of my shell and really, you know, asserting my, you know, this, this confidence that I didn't have before. So I, I feel that. That's so great. And that's what we're missing in society. That's what we're missing in society. We don't have people with complex characters anymore. We have the same freaking character with just with different colored hair. I'm sorry, but that's what's happening. We're tweaking identities. We're changing the way we, we talk about identity. That is not okay. That is a problem with our cell structure. Our cells need a bilipid layer around it to understand that that thing belongs in the body that it belongs in. And it needs to communicate with hormones that way. It's huge. It's, it's, it's such a huge thing. And until you, if, 
until you actually feel it yourself, you don't really understand. And I, I'm sure you remember that hearing this too, you know, oh, you are what you eat and nutrition mm-hmm. is so important. Health is important. And for me, I always looked at it like, whatever, I just want to be skinny, whatever. And, you know, move along. I'll worry about health when I'm like 90. Okay. And now I get it. I get it. I feel the difference. I, I, I understand this now I've seen and talked to so many people who've also had the same thing. And so you, you got to start really wondering, huh, is there something to that? If we could just get everybody together and go eat some steak, you know, maybe this world would be a better place. Maybe we'd even have peace. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this can be a big thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We might be able to satisfy that thing we're hungry for. Exactly. It's an interesting concept, but I mean, too many people have experienced this. So there's got to be something to it. Yeah. I All remember. is crazy. Tinfoil hat wearing whatever, you know, but I yeah. say eat a steak. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, re- I remember being so scared that I wasn't going to be able to afford to eat well. Um, like eating well was a really big thing for me because that was going to be what prevented me from going into bulimia and anorexia. And I understood that. And this was like, you know, when I was still trying to be vegetarian and vegan, I would say, I need to eat well. And I would just say that and it would be like, what does that actually mean? Yeah. What is well? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I would, I was so addicted to sugar that I, you know, I would spend the money I didn't have on, you know, a pastry or a coffee. And I I've had to write letters to these things to say goodbye to them. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. You know, you have to, you have to do like the silly thing sometimes, but if it works, it works. Hey, whatever. Right. Okay. Well, okay. So explain when you did start eating more of a meat-based diet and you started getting all that good nutrition, what, tell us what that felt like. What, what was that feeling? Did you feel more powerful? Did you feel freer? Did you, you know, what, what was that moment where you're like, wow. I felt like I was becoming the person that I always wanted to be like, running or like running for miles in the morning was what used to set my, my mind straight. I would need to run to avoid anxiety and to feel energy. And when I started eating meat, all meat, um, like when I just started eating more meat, I felt heavy. I felt different. I felt a little lethargic and I felt like I needed caffeine. And I needed little bouts of sugar, but, um, when I'm just eating all meat, I don't need to, I don't need to exercise. I don't need to exercise to sustain calm, um, and focus. And that's kind of a thing that you feel like you're doing when you're vegan and you're running everywhere because you're like, I need to fix this thing that's wrong with me. And that's what opens up the the desire for supplements and fixing with detoxes and things. There's something wrong with us. You know, we got to run it out. We got to exercise it out. Anyway, I, I exercise now for the enjoyment of it, 
And if I just want a little bit more definition in my muscle for an aesthetic quality, or if while I'm at work and I'm massaging, if I'm working on somebody who really needs deep tissue and I need them to understand that I'm capable of it, I'll pump up my body a little bit more so they can see that they're, they haven't just wasted my money. Because people need a, a visual signal sometimes. So, so yeah, it's an aesthetic thing, but it's also, you know, if I'm feeling like I just, I want to be aggressive looking, if I'm, if I just want to be more aggressive looking, I can do that. And I build muscle very easily on carnivore, even though I don't need to. So nice. Um, yeah, you just feel cinched together, like the fascia in a belly that's been distended all of your life. It's not tight, but when you're eating, when you're eating carnivore, you don't have to eat as frequently as you did before. So then that affects your hormones in a way that you're accessing fat stores so that your belly tightens a little bit and the fascia cinches up a little bit and broken proteins inside your fascia, inside the like scar tissue of your fascia will start to kind of disappear and re kind of calibrate, not recalibrate, but like it'll just like autophagy, it affects broken proteins in the body in order for you to rebuild in other places. So, so yeah, it's a very healing um, mechanism and it leaves you feeling more put together because the fact I know what you're saying, I know, you know? what you're saying. It, it's, it's like, it, it's like a tightening, but it's not, it's just more, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like I think you said cinched. It's just yeah. Kinda, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I That makes sense to me. Okay, so tell us some more good stuff that has happened to you. Like you don't have acne on your face. Right. I can see that. <laughs> your complexion looks awesome. What yeah. other things have really changed for you? I'm assuming your, your teeth and your gums and all of that are getting better. Yeah. Just, just yeah. go through all the things that you were really having issues with that have now cleared because you're getting proper nutrition. The teeth are a huge thing. I am also discovering what works for, your, for my body um, has been so much more clear since being on carnivore. Like I, I was under the impression that I was allergic to chicken. Egg, well, I am allergic to chicken eggs, but I was under the impression that I couldn't eat 